You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. I want you to imagine for a second what it would be like to step into the spotlight on stage and lose your voice. What would it be like? Well, uh, a guy by the name of Greer Grimsley found out. Some of you know opera and you know Greer Grimsley is nationally famous for a very deep bass voice. And this past spring up in Vancouver, it was opening night uh, for Sweeney Todd, this musical, and he was the lead singer. And he had a little bit of a cold going into it, but they uh, gave him the green light and he got up there and he started singing. And all of a sudden he began to realize, I am not hitting that register right and it's kind of a, a terrifying, just imagine the anxiety, the fear, the shame that you might feel in that moment. Um, but fortunately, uh, as he looked out over the audience, there was actually a master singer in row 14. Uh, his name is George Maswell. Now, George Maswell lives in Toronto. He's back east. But just the day before, he gets this phone call. He's actually in his pajamas doing his taxes and the phone rings. It's the Toronto Opera, it's the Vancouver Opera Company saying, hey, Mr. Maswell, uh, we think we may have a problem with our lead singer in Sweeney Todd. Would you be able to jump the very next plane and come to Vancouver in case we need you on stage? Now, he hadn't sung that score in uh, 12 years. 2003 was the last time he had sung it. No rehearsal. Just completely cold. When, uh, they wanted him to see one performance, so when it turned out that Greer was going to sing, George comes down, they give him a seat ticket, he's there, row 14, he's got the score in hand, uh, but when he looks up, and he may have been the only one to perceive it, and he sees Greer's having trouble with some of those notes, he realizes, uh-oh, we are in big trouble. And so he starts leaping over knees, you know, to make his way out to the aisle, and he goes sprinting up the aisle with ushers chasing him. And they say, sir, if you leave those, you're not going to be able to come back in there. They didn't know who he was. Uh, but the producers do, and they're, they're running around, meet him back in the back, take him to the front, and there he is, just dressed as he is, street clothes, and they hand him a microphone, and they say, Next time he has a song, you sing. And he does. George Maswell sings while uh, Greer Grimsley is up there lip syncing through this production. So the whole thing, this happens early on, the early of act one. So just imagine that. I, I love that story because for me, it's, it's a picture of what it looks like to live by the Spirit. It's a beautiful image, I think. Now, as I say, we're looking at uh, Galatians chapter 5, this great manifesto on freedom, and there's no freedom even in Jesus Christ for you and me without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, comes to give fruit in our lives. Now, you notice that if you read the chapter. Another thing you observe is that there are three different postures that the Apostle Paul talks about. In verse 1, he talks about standing. In verse 7, he talks about running. And in verse, verses 16 and 25, he talks about walking. Some of your translations uh, translate those as live or guided, but the Greek word is to walk. What's with these postures? Well, as we think about the Holy Spirit, I want to suggest that the music of love comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses these three postures to teach us about Jesus. Let's look at these. Would you open up your Bible, please, to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. And uh, you find that page 948 of the Pew Bible. So please 
uh, grab that. And if you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's word aloud together to honor the one who inspired it, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. The truth is, uh, sometimes it'd be better to lose your voice than to raise your voice, right? Have you ever been so ugly with somebody that you raise your voice and then you notice that the window is open and that your neighbors could hear the whole conversation? It's happened to me, and it's a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling. It's kind of like, um, if I could take you back to this moment, uh, they say when you have a near-death experience, you have this out-of-body experience, you can watch yourself dead there. I want to take you on my out-of-body experience. Let's start over at the neighbor's house. You know, there we are, the neighbors are eating dinner, and they hear this sound, this awful sound. They say, what is that? I don't know. It sounds like it's coming from next door. Does that sound like George? No, that definitely does not sound like George. Couldn't be George. I think it's Pastor George. And uh, so so we go uh, over the hedge, through the, yes, open window, and into our dining room where we see George and Ann standing there just as they did 26 years ago before the altar, you know, face to face. Their faces are just as red now as they were then, but there's this noise, this noise, noise, noise. They're in an argument with one another, and it's getting out of control, and George has got something dark and ugly welling up inside of him. Uh, I was losing my voice because I was raising my voice in that moment. And the question is, is that the real George? I'm embarrassed even to tell you that question because you go, oh, no, 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 that's rare, right? No. You know what? We all have a side to us. The Apostle Paul refers to it as the flesh. But is that the real you? This is what he's entertaining here. The people to whom Paul writes, they have lost their voice as well. Did you notice that? In the last verse that you read, verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited or competing against one another or envying one another. The real you is not that you. The real you is the one who, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, is growing in love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Paul goes, that is the real you. How is that the case? Because of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the third person of the Trinity, God, with God the Father and God the Son. But tonight I want to refer to the Holy Spirit this way, as the resident minstrel of heaven. The resident minstrel of heaven. I'll say more about that as we go along, but I want to remind you of these three postures, standing, running, and walking. And as we think about those three postures, we might imagine ourselves with earbuds. We find music all over the place these days. We take it with us. And I think that the Holy Spirit is a minister of music. And he has three ministries, maybe music genres, if you will. He loves us. He liberates us. 
and he leads us. That's where we're headed. But I want to get at those three things by considering with you three myths about the Holy Spirit. Three myths. And uh, the first one is this. The Holy Spirit wants me to change. Now think about this carefully. With every myth, there's a little bit of truth to it, but I think the emphasis is wrong. No, it's not so much that the Holy Spirit wants me to change. It's that the Holy Spirit wants to embrace me and you with love. Love. I want you to stand in my love. Now, I know this because the Apostle Paul says in verse 24a, you belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. He wants them to understand that about themselves. Let me think about the myth for a second. Where would we get the idea that the Holy Spirit is eager primarily just to change us? You say, well, George, doesn't Jesus teach this in the upper room? John chapter 16, he says, the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world. Our translation says to prove the world wrong. Be careful with that. Make sure you take it in context. Notice, for example, in the verse just before that, I think it's verse 16, 8, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate. He's not the prosecuting attorney. He's the advocate. He's the defense attorney. And then Jesus will talk about sin and righteousness and judgment, but he'll explain what he means by those things. The Holy Spirit will prove you wrong about sin because the Holy Spirit draws you to the grace of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit proves you wrong about righteousness because... Jesus says, I go to the Father as your advocate. My righteousness is what counts if you have faith in me, not yours. And the Holy Spirit will prove you wrong about judgment because if you look to Jesus Christ and faith and judgment has already passed. So you are forgiven. You have been set free. The Holy Spirit just wants to convince you that you belong to Jesus. Now, I think we think that Jesus must want to change us so desperately before he could really love us because we have trouble loving ourselves. We stand in our shame. Just imagine uh, Greer Grimsley on that stage. I mean, he's in the spotlight. I don't know what it feels like, but all of a sudden, he can't get the job done. His voice, it's not enough. And I'm just imagining that at some point he looks out there and he sees uh, the master singer, George uh, uh, Maswell sitting there in row 14. And if his eye catches him and he's like me, he'd say, oh my gosh, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Not only is this happening, but it's happening in front of this master singer. I love this guy. I'm one of his biggest fans. He did the greatest job of Sweeney Todd, 2003. I listened to all the music to prepare for this. I, I read all the clippings, the acclaim. And now he's watching me just self-destruct on the stage. Please just take control. Get rid of me. Get me out of this place. I wish I were he. I'm so ashamed. Now, not just of my voice, but of myself. Paul says, if that's the way you feel about your life, you're standing in shame, and you shouldn't because you belong to Christ. God takes sinners in as is. He takes me in. He takes you in at our worst. And his word for us is not disappointment. It's enough. You are enough for me. Augustine thought about the Holy Spirit as the love between the, fa- the Father and the Son. And I like that. But I don't think it says enough because the Scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit is a person, not just an emotion or a property of the will. That's why I prefer to think of the Holy Spirit as a minstrel, the one who makes the music to which the Father and the Son dance in their loving embrace, this eternal romance that's existed 
since the beginning of time. You belong to that. When Jesus prays for you in the, in the garden, John 17, he speaks to the Father. He says, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, may they, the rebels, the sinners, the broken people, may they be in us. May they come into our embrace and belong to me just as I belong to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to change me so much as he wants to embrace me, and he wants to embrace you. The first step in living by the Spirit is to stand in God's love. Stand in God's love. There's another myth I want to discuss, and that's this. The Holy Spirit wants to control me. I think that's a myth, too. The Holy Spirit wants to control me. No, I would say the Holy Spirit actually wants to liberate you. Paul says this in verse 24b. He goes on to write, You have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You have crucified the flesh. Now, they have been running. They have been running. And the music of running is a dissonant sound in this chapter. Where do we get this idea, this myth that Maybe the Spirit wants to control our lives. I think it's because of the dissonance in our lives. I think it's because standing in our shame, we really want someone to take control. We've lost control. Our lives have run out of control. We're running to try to gain some control. But it's gone away from us. Sometimes I think I wish God would do to me what the IT department does to my computer. You know, when I'm at home and my study working on my computer, I, I can call with a problem and they can, they can somehow, they can take control of my computer. And all of a sudden, somebody here at UPC is moving the cursor around, cleaning up the mess that I've made on my laptop. Wouldn't it be great if you could just kind of hook up a port to God and say, God, all right, I'm yours. And he would just, you know, click, 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 click and fix everything that you've screwed up in your life, right? We want God to take control because we don't know what to do with the mess ourselves other than just to stand in it or to run from it. But God doesn't want you as a Stepford wife, as an automaton, as a driverless car. He wants you. He loves you. He wants you to take control of you. He wants you to live your life, to flourish. He made you and no one else can live your life but you. He wants to see it unfold. He wants to liberate you, not control you. The problem, it seems, the Galatians, Paul says, you were running well. You were running well. You started off well. But I think they begin to run away from grace. They begin to run away from the cross into works, thinking that they began by grace, but now God somehow expects them to clean up the mess, check the boxes, follow the rules. And they've run away from grace. I think if you're uh, Greer Grimsley and you're on the stage, you might wish that someone would uh, take control, you know, the big hook. I don't know if they really do that, or the trap door, you know, just get me out of this place. Okay, okay, bring the, bring the master up here and get me out. Or you might do what a lot of us prefer to do, which is we say, fake it until you make it. And maybe he's thinking, you know what, if I just sing louder, longer, with more strain, maybe I can actually get myself through this thing. I think perhaps the reason they let him sing the opening night, even though for three days he'd be coming down with a cold, was that morning they said, how you doing, Greer? And he said, I'm doing fine, I can do it, right? He faked it. That's what you and I tend to do with our shame. We construct an identity 
that we want the world to see because we can't bear to have the world look at ourselves the way we look at ourselves. So Paul says, don't forget, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want you to think about that image. This is startling to me. You have crucified the flesh. What is crucifixion? Well, crucifixion was an execution technique that the Romans used to control subjugated populations, right? They didn't, weren't just killing people. They were killing people in a horrible way, and they were leaving their bodies at their, by the road so that everyone would see who's in charge, this great Rome. If you're a Roman living, if you're, if you're not a Roman living at that time under their control, I, I would guess that in your maybe not finer moments, you would say to yourself, boy, I would love to crucify a Roman. I'd love to see once one of those centurions up on the cross, you know, one of those guys that's got me under control. And Paul's saying, interestingly enough, you've crucified your flesh. That thing that keeps you under control, that thing that keeps influencing you with its passions and desires, you know what? You have already said you don't need that anymore. It's like you've turned around the cross of Jesus Christ, say, I am so done with you, and just nailed that right up there. Now, what is the flesh? That is your false self. That's the self that you have tried to create independent of God. Thomas Merton writes, My false self and my private self is the one who wants to exist outside of the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of love. I can't bear to let the world see who I am without God. And so in my shame, I create an image that I want you to imagine is really me. The problem with this is that that false self is not benign. It's not neutral in your life. It actually has passions and desires. It has requirements. It's high maintenance. And to, to maintain it, there's a lot that you've got to do. This is what Paul has called the works of the flesh. He's already listed them earlier in the, in the passage. But if you look at that list, just let me give you some examples of how this works. If my false self will not accept intimacy from God, it will desire fornication. That's the first in the list. Fornication is the old word for sexual immorality or, or false intimacy. Of course, you have to have intimacy. If you refuse to re receive it from God, you'll try to find it anywhere. You'll find substitutes. You'll find false intimacy. You won't think you're worthy of real intimacy to the false. Uh, secondly, if my false self will not accept protection from God, it will desire idolatry, which is what idolatry is. It's just creating something that gives you a perception of Protection is false protection. If my false self will not accept validation from God, you're, you matter, then uh, it will desire quarrels because I'll be competing for validation from you. Factions will develop. These are all works of the flesh, Paul says. If I won't accept peace from God in my false self, then it will desire some other kind of peace, maybe a, a few too many mid-afternoon Merlots, false peace, just to kind of calm the jitters. If my false self will not accept care from God, it will desire more money and more money and more money, which gives us a false sense that we're cared for in life. So Paul says, you have crucified the flesh. How do you do this? It's past tense. Probably he has in mind that you did it when you were baptized. Remember, that's when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. When, when you came out of the waters of baptism, you crucified, you put that on your false self on the cross of Jesus Christ and said, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to hustle anymore. That is not a sustainable lifestyle. 
I know who I really am. And Paul, Paul says in Galatians, I think it's 4 or 6, he's the first ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to come within the believer and have them cry out, Abba, Father. To know at last, my true identity is just a beloved child of God. Abba, Father, I'm a daughter. I'm a son to the great king. Stop running. This is the second step of life of the Spirit. Stop running with a false self. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to control you. He's trying to liberate you from the things that control you. Let's move to the uh, third myth. The Holy Spirit wants to show up. That's, I think, a myth. The Holy Spirit wants to show up. No, the Holy Spirit wants to lead us by faith. In fact, I would argue that the Holy Spirit wants to hide in faith, in your faith. They want to show up. And we see this in the uh, end of the verse passage that we read where Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Or The NIV translates that, keep in step with the Spirit, which I really like. If you live by the Spirit, if you came to faith in Jesus, you did so by the Spirit, so the Spirit's in your life. If you live that way eternally, then you should also walk this way in the Spirit. But you didn't see anything dramatic when you came to faith in Jesus. Why do you expect to feel something dramatic as you walk with Jesus through his Holy Spirit? This is a faith operation from beginning to end, Paul says. Walk by faith. Now, why do we have this myth? Where do we get this idea from that the Holy Spirit wants to show up with drama? I think it's sometimes the Holy Spirit really does show up with drama. We see this in the Bible, right? There's an earthquake or there's fire, or there's a rushing wind. That's all in the Bible, but also even in our own lives. There are moments where we experience just inexplicably the presence of God that's almost overwhelming. People be moved to tears by an experience like that. He does show up. But that's not norm. That's not the normative experience of the Holy Spirit, is it? No, I mean, you, if you, that happens a lot to you, you probably end up in the Bible, right? There are lots of times where just nothing spectacular happens in the life of a believer. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not there. He's the shy sovereign, as they say. He's hiding. And here's where I really love this picture of the opera in Vancouver, because imagine what it must have been like for Greer, okay? You, all of a sudden, you hear this, the most beautiful music coming from your lips, and you think, I don't have a voice, but I'm singing great. <laughs> you know, I really like it. But it's got to be a faith experience for you, because there you are. You're still very much on stage. This is your night. This is your gig. You've rehearsed for months for this. You, there are props. There's a lot of motion in this drama, and you're going all around, and you're doing this. And let's say you're winding up for one of your big numbers. You know, I'm not a big singer, but I, I imagine, you know, you... You come to that moment and you throw open your arms and your eyes go up to heaven and you open your mouth in the biggest possible way and you go like that, right? And you're just hoping there'll be sound. See, that's a faith, that's a step of faith for you to do that. You don't really know that the guy behind the curtain's actually gonna support that. He leaves you hanging. You're in big trouble, right? What an idiot. There you are. But, but no, then the music comes. The music comes when you take that step of faith. And I think in the same way, Paul's saying, hey, look, you may not feel any different because the Holy Spirit's in your life, but step with the resident minstrel of heaven. In fact, don't just step, but dance. Keep in step with the Spirit. But you have to do so with faith. And there are two aspects to that faith. One is that the Spirit is resident in your life. 
If you're like me, it's easy to know that the Holy Spirit is resident in somebody else's life who has incredible gifts of music or hospitality or generosity. But what about my life? Well, you have to take that by faith, don't you? By faith. The whole structure of the book of Romans is the way that you begin is the way that you end. If you begin by grace, don't end by works. If you begin by faith, uh, don't end by sensory experience. You continue on the same way. If you know that the Holy Spirit... but if you, By the way, if you say yes to Jesus... The moment you say yes to Jesus is the same moment that the Holy Spirit says yes to God the Father. Because the Holy Spirit has promised to give all the followers of Jesus the full measure of his Holy Spirit. So if you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's in your life, whether you know it or not. You have to believe that and trust. The other aspect of faith here is that the resident minstrel will lead the dance with you. That you'll be guided step by step through what Eugene Peterson calls the unforced rhythms of grace. It's not by the law, it's not by principles, but grace as you dance with this minstrel who loves you so. In order to do this, we'll have to learn to recognize the Spirit's voice, to hear the music in our lives. And I think the people who can do that best are the people who listen for the music of Jesus in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will never say anything to you that the Spirit doesn't also say, or that isn't consistent with everything that the Spirit has said through this book, through the Bible. And those people who end up recognizing the voice of the Holy Spirit and responding to his music in their lives are those people who have been practiced listening for the voice of God in his word, who study it and hear it and obey it. So this is the third step to living in the Spirit. Walk by faith. He's not wanting to show up. He's wanting to hide behind you and to lead you. Paul writes, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Faith, that's our part, working through love. That's his fruit. In that moment that I lost my voice with Anne, my wife, the Holy Spirit was there. He was there. And if I had been listening to him, really paying attention in that moment, here's what I would have understood. First of all, he loves me. He is not ashamed of me, though I may be ashamed of myself. Even then, even in that moment, even at my worst, he says, you know what, George? You are good. My word for you is enough. I love you, and I couldn't possibly love you anymore. I also would have learned uh, that he wants to liberate me that part of the reason that I was in this argument and that I was acting this way with my wife was that I had a false self that was playing out with its passions and desires, the need to be right, the need to seem smart, the need to have the last word, the need to defend my dignity because I'm really not so secure in God's grace. Couldn't you just remember, George, that we nailed that to the cross a long, long time ago? You're free from that. And then also, he wants to lead me. He wants to help me in the dance of my marriage with my wife. And if I will listen to him, then he will allow me to find a place of humility and modesty and mercy. So that I would go back to Anne, as I did, and apologize to her and ask her for forgiveness. And of course, she always, she always says yes to that. I want to close by reading a few words from Oliver Sacks. 
Oliver Sacks is a neuroscientist who just passed away. He was a gifted writer as well as a scientist, and he tells a story in one of his books, A Leg to Stand On. Uh, in that story, he's been hiking, I think it's in Finland, and uh, he crossed a fence that he shouldn't cross. Turns out there was a bull in the pasture who got very angry at him and charged him, and he ran for his life, and he fell as he was running down the mountain. He shattered his leg. He was all alone. And so now he has to continue to flee not only the, the bull, but nightfall as he tries to find his way to some medical care. As he does, he writes in this chapter that the music in his mind seemed to save his life. He would begin to sing to himself and make this music. And he, it's almost like he became the music. And that's, that's what caught my attention as I read this paragraph, because I think that's what God promises you and me, that we somehow become the music that the Holy Spirit is playing in our lives. Oliver Sacks writes, It was only after chanting the song in a resonant and resounding bass for some time that I suddenly realized that I had forgotten the bull. Or more accurately, I had forgotten my fear. Partly seeing that it was no longer appropriate, partly that it had been absurd in the first place, I had no room now for this fear or for any other fear, because I was filled to the brim with music. And even when it was not literally, audibly music, there was the music of my muscle orchestra playing, the silent music of the body. With this playing, the musicality of my motion, I myself became the music, a creature of muscle, motion, and music. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit. We would ask you to pour out your Spirit again, except we're encouraged to believe that he's already been poured out, that he's already here, already filling us individually and corporately as your people. God, we pray for those among us who are still on this journey, exploring faith in Jesus and preparing themselves to say yes, if this is the moment that that they would say yes to you so that they might begin this wonderful adventure with the Holy Spirit. Grant them the simple faith to do so tonight. And for the rest of us who have said yes to Jesus, grant us new openness in our lives to the freedom that you want to bring through your Holy Spirit. Teach us to walk step by step along the way with you. We pray that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.